and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show. I am Jason Butchel filling in for Steve Dace. Um, you know what? It's, a, it's another crushing defeat for the matriarchy and another stunning win for the patriarchy. I mean, just a slam dunk for the patriarchy. I uh, dethroned the great Sarah Gonzalez. She is uh, she's not in today. Uh, sent her to go make me a sandwich. She's uh, in the kitchen as we speak. Um, I might allow her to come back in a little bit later. Um, but my sandwiches are pretty, you know, my, my standards are really high. So she's got she's got a lot of work to do. So uh, we'll just we'll we'll see uh, we'll, we'll see how she does. Um, but in all seriousness, uh, she uh, is uh, saving the world uh, for conservatism, and in that sense, saving the entire country. So um, she uh, is busy right now, but she uh, will probably be back a little bit later in the show. Um, but again, you know, that kind of you know, if I let her out of the kitchen, that is. Um, you know, I'm just I'm not even gonna you know mess around this morning. I'm gonna go straight into it because I have got. A load of stuff to talk about today, and I know that you guys, because you guys are like me, you guys are, you guys are conservatives first, right? You guys are conservatives first. You know, you care about the conservative movement. You care about what's going on in the country right now. And are you are you like me? Because I am pissed. Like I am pissed. This week has been an absolute dumpster fire. I mean, I just, you can't sugarcoat it. Straight up dumpster fire. Um, I mean, okay, let's, let's start with this. Um, I could go in a world where Hillary Clinton became president, but uh, I'm not going to be that dramatic. Um, let's just, okay, what, what would you, what would you have expected from uh, a Hillary administration? Let's say Hillary got elected, you know, a couple years ago. Um, where would we be today? What are, what were the things that you and I, the conservatives that are trying to keep this movement alive in this country, what would we be just absolutely straight up livid about today? Um, there'd probably be an assault on the second amendment. Probably be something like that. Who knows? Like, who knows what they would try to do? They'd try to do something anti-crazy gun. That, that's what they'd be doing. Um, we'd also expect them to be weak on the border. You know, like, something would happen. Like, I don't expect them to, there would be no bravado in actually strengthening the border. There would just be something uh, that they'd be talking about that would piss us off utterly on the border. Um, so we'd be ticked off over that. Um, you know, it would have probably would have been it probably been in this caravan thing. They, the, the way they would have ca- uh, handled the caravan thing, that's probably what would have irked us. But we probably would just be pissed off. Anyway, something on the border. Um, we'd also be, uh, you know, getting pissed off about how we're getting screwed on the global stage. Uh, I would, I, you know, you could argue that you know uh, Hillary would have been uh, very, very, you know, she, she's an interventionist. So that's kind of something that's weird. Something that was kind of flip flopping a little bit between the Democrat and Republican parties, even though they're not really distinguishable anymore. I mean, if you think about, you know, if, if the Democrats used to be one eyebrow, uh, the left eyebrow and the Republicans used to be the right eyebrow, what we kind of have now is a unibrow. I mean, that's really what we have. It's, it's a unibrow. It's a unibrow system where they all pretty much, you know, they'll, they'll tell us something behind, clo- you know, like out in public. But behind closed doors, they're all like, <laughs> get a load of that. Like, you, do you hear what I told them? Yeah, we don't believe in any of that stuff. That's pretty much how they are right now. But they would be, you know, we would be ticked off. You know, like there, there'd be something going on in the world stage. We're like, oh, my gosh, we're getting our butts kicked here. We're getting our butts kicked there. Um, we'd be ticked off. Um so that's, you know, sounds typical. That, that's, that's pretty much what it would have been like. But look what's going on today. Um, the reality is that, you know, Hillary Clinton isn't president. Um, the GOP owns both the House and the Senate. And what the hell is going on today? 
Really, what is going on? Does anybody have an answer for why things are progressing the way they've been progressing over the last two years? And this past week, this past week alone, I want to erase this week. If it wasn't Christmas coming up next week, I would be, I'd be, I'd be so down the dumps depressed. Actually, I kind of am, even though I shouldn't let this stuff get to me so much. But it's so hard to, to when you actually rationalize through it how we got to where we are today. It's insane, a dumpster fire. Um, immigration and the rule of law destroyed this week. Uh, well, I won't say I won't say utterly destroyed, but it's appearing like it's gonna be destroyed. Uh, the Second Amendment. Oh my gosh, do I have a rant for that? That's probably one of my biggest issues as a conservative, like one of my most passionate issues, Second Amendment. What the heck happened to the Second Amendment this week? Um, I know you guys are as fired up about this as I am. We're going to get to that. You know, I'm going to have to save that for a little bit later. I'm going to start somewhere else. But U.S. credibility overseas. Talked a little bit about this yesterday. Um, the more and more I'm seeing people talk about it, the blowback, the defense from the administration, uh, I've got to go off again on that. Um, so those are the... Three things that I really want to hit up, and man, oh man, I do I hope I hope we have the time to hit up all these because we have got to rant. Um, I don't want to just make this me talking to you, all right? So if you guys want to discuss any of this stuff with me, because some of this stuff is going to be kind of complicated. So when I, especially when I get to like some of the global stuff, like U.S. credibility overseas. Okay, I'm talking about Syria and all that stuff. You you guys know what I'm talking about. Once I get to that, if anything's like not like if I'm not breaking it down when I was in the Marine Corps, we called it breaking it down shotgun style. That means breaking it down real easy so we all understand it because I don't have a PhD. So ever the only, I'm only capable of breaking things down shotgun style because I can't get complicated in it. I'm dorky enough, just not I just don't have the vocabulary. But anyway, if you guys want to talk about this, just you and me, uh, why don't you call in? It's 888-900-3393. 888-900-3393. Call me up, you and me, we'll talk. Uh, I was about to say face-to-face, but microphone to uh, phone. Anyway, let's start with the wall. Now, before, let's set the stage, right? Let's see, like this was last night, Nancy Pelosi, man, she was having a heck of a time, just a whale of a time. This was Nancy Pelosi last night, roll that beautiful bean footage. Check her out, right there on the left, if you can't see this. It's going back to the band, the Christmas party. Nancy Pelosi's swaying back and forth. Man, she's having a good time. She's clapping her hands. Yeah. Why is she so happy? Well, this is the reason why Nancy Pelosi is so happy. The Senate passed a stopgap bill yesterday to fund the government and an attempt to fund the government and stop a, a, a shutdown. Now, this was going to happen, the sh- the, I guess the deadline is tomorrow, um, so, they, so they passed the stopgap bill. What was not in, what was missing from that stopgap bill? And I know you all know this, no wall funding. No wall funding. And uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, she kind of, uh, she made a statement that Really put everybody, you know, you know, lifted everyone's eyebrows. She was like, um, "Yeah, um, we want to avoid a shut. We don't want to shut down the, you know, the government. We want to shut down the border." Even though that was probably kind of a stupid thing to say. Um, but then she also says uh, that you know they're uh, just kind of signaling that they're like stepping back from the wall. Like they weren't going to let that, uh, you know, cause the government to shut down. And you know, can I? You know, I ranted about this earlier, but. Who cares if there's a partial government shutdown? Who cares? I mean, all the essential parts of the, of the, of the government are already funded. 
Like the military was funded. Like the vast majority, I think it was like 75%. Three quarters of the government was already funded. So why are we really worried? And even if the government shut down, you know, let's say, let's say it shuts down for five days. Um, even if like, you know, it, what's hilarious is people don't get paid daily, right? The government gets paid per, uh, biweekly, pretty much like everybody else, you know, in the country. Getting paid on the 1st and the 15th. Everyone's already gotten paid. They've already gotten paid. So they're not going to get paid again for another week. So you've got seven days if you want to shut down the government and use that as leverage to get something done. If you want to fight for a chance, you know, for a change, you've got the time to pull that off. They had all the time they needed. So shut the government down. Let them do it. Give them a free vacation. They'll get a vacation. They won't have to, you know, they won't have to go into work. They're still going to get paid, you know, in the next, you know, seven days. Let's say they don't get paid and they have to wait a couple more days or whatever. That money doesn't disappear. They're still going to get paid that money. And if you and some people say, yeah, but, you know, all the people that live there, you know, what about what if it does go past, uh, you know, they're living paycheck to paycheck and it goes past uh, their payday. All you think people in Washington, D.C., ever like landowners to you know landlords to, uh, I don't know, pick whatever, you know, uh, you know, people that are expecting money from people that work from the government in D.C. Do you think they don't have a contingency plan for this? They know the story. They, they know this by now. Like this seems like this happens all the time. It's just becoming a common tactic. They know exactly how to deal with this. Like, okay, yeah. can't pay your rent. Okay, yeah, no, so government shut down. No worries. We'll wait five days and you can pay us. This is not that big of a deal. So use your leverage. I actually thought that we were going to stand up and fight for this, and I was perfectly on board with the shutdown. But they didn't do it. So anyway, moving forward, uh, this now goes to the house. I highly doubt the House is going to, you know, all of a sudden grow a pair and add in border funding to this, uh, wall, you know, for the wall. I just, I'm not expecting it. I, they, they haven't showed that they are going to fight for anything. They haven't showed they're going to fight for Obamacare. They haven't showed uh, that they were going to fight for anything of any kind of conservative substance. They haven't, they haven't shown that. Uh, any other stopgap bill that didn't include stuff that we wanted... They, uh, they've punted. They, they, they've just completely given over. Now, remember this. GOP owns every single, you know, uh, they, uh, they own, we're in the, we uh, have a president. We have the Senate. We have the House. Now we have a Supreme Court uh, that should be stacked in our favor. We can pretty much, you would think that we'd be able to do what we want. Uh, you've got... How you know you've now got a limited amount of time. You should be in uh, in Congress. You should be sleeping there at night. You should be bringing your sleeping bags in there, your pillows. You should be bringing your Cheez-Its and your goldfish, you know, to snack on. Uh, no, no run into uh, what's that really crappy burger joint that's on the East Coast? I'm always making fun of it. Um, Ron, what the heck is? No, it's not In and Out. It's a uh, uh, Shake Shack. Everyone know in the South and in the West Coast knows that Shake Shack sucks. It sucks. And I don't care where, you know, I don't care if you're in New Jersey right now or New York. Your burger joint sucks. Um, it's all about Whataburger. Yes, I will give some uh, some props to uh, Five Guys. I will give some props to, uh, uh, where's, where, where's uh, we got In-N-Out, we got Five Guys. Whataburger obviously is tops on that. But Shake Shack sucks. I'm sorry, it does. Um. Anyway, so none of that. You got Cheez-Its, you got Goldfish, and that's what you guys are you Twizzlers for for uh, for dessert. That's what you guys are snacking on. Um. But the point is, you're not leaving 
the house. You're not leaving. You're getting stuff done. You're ramming it through their throats. You're ramming it down Nancy Pelosi's face. That's what you're doing. You're not letting them get anything. You're not giving any ground. You're like, this is what we want. This is what we want. This is what we want. And we're doing it. Now, why aren't we seeing that? Why aren't they doing that? You know the left would do that. You know the left would do that. And you know the left is going to be doing that for the next two years. It's going to be investigation after investigation after investigation. Oh, you don't like it, GOP? Tough. We're tough. We're doing it anyway. That's what they'd be doing. And that's what we're going to that's what we're going to see. Uh, anyway, I keep on digressing. So anyway, so it goes through it's through the Senate, then goes through the House. Uh, then the president has the option of signing it. Now, this is complicated because this is I'm going to I'm going to I got some of these on tweets here. So I'm just going to pull up this first tweet. Um, and I think it's yeah. Th- OK, so fire up that tweet there. uh Chancy Pants. Uh, I think it's the southern border one. Um, with so much talk about the wall. How about that one? I got that one on there. Yeah, there we go. With so much talk about the wall, people are losing sight of the great job being done on our southern border by Border Patrol, ICE, and our great military. Remember the caravans? Well, they didn't get through, and none are forming or on their way. Border is tight. Fake news silent. Okay, um, right. So what that sounds like is a big deflection to me. That sounds like, okay, yeah, um... I know I said, you know, wall, but what I meant was a wall of, you know, uber cool security. That's what I meant. I didn't physical wall. I meant like a, that's, it's metaphorical, you know, like in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. It's metaphorical. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, we expect a wall. That's what we expect. But now, and I don't, I don't think I actually have a, for all you guys watching right now, I don't, I don't think I have this tweet. But um, this is this is why I this is like one of his latest tweets that he, he just went out, um, and he says, "When I begrudgingly signed the omnibus bill, I was promised the wall and border security by leadership um, would be done by end of year." And then quotation marks. He says, "Now didn't happen." Exclamation point. We foolishly fight for border security for other countries, but not for our beloved USA. Not good. Another exclamation point. Okay, so that kind of sounds different, and and he's also said made some other comments throughout the morning that he won't sign anything. If uh, kind of seemingly it doesn't, you know, it doesn't go far enough. So I'm wondering now, is he actually playing because of the blowback? Because all of us, you know, all of people like you and me are pissed off and we're like letting him know like, hey, hey, no, you've got to follow through with this. You've been selling us on this for how many? Like three years? You've been selling the wall to us for three years. Now, I think the vast majority of us are kind of sold, right? Like most of us want we, we want this by now. So is he now going to veto it? Um, because there's no deflection. I mean, we, you can't deflect this. You can't turn this into some metaphorical, you know, like, you know, security equals wall. You know, like, E-Verify equals wall. No, 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 it doesn't. We want a wall now. And, um, you know, over the years, partial walls have been built. Um, and I just kind of want to run through some of these numbers where the, where the, the areas of the southern border where partial walls have been built, this is the effect that it has had. Okay, they did this in San Diego, um, and I want to point out also the one they did in San Diego was a Bill Clinton-era initiative. So they were all about the wall back then. Back when it was on their side, they saw a clear and present danger to the security of our nation, and they were like, okay, we need a wall. Um, They were correct then. They just happen to be wrong now. Uh, it's all politics. They don't care about your security. They don't care about my security. They don't care about America's security. It's all about politics. It's all about optics. That's that's all it is. And that made me, makes it even more disgusting 
This is about politics. Your security. They're willing to just, you know, say, eh, because it's all about politics. Doesn't that sound disgusting? Like when I say that word in this in this context, especially, it just sounds disgusting. I'm upset to my stomach. Um, But anyway, in San Diego, illegal crossings after the border wall went up, went down 92 percent, 92 percent. They did it in El Paso. Illegal crossings went down 95%. 95%. They did it in Tucson, or as my wife calls it, Tucson. Uh, they did it in Tucson, Arizona. Down 92%. Yuma, Arizona. Border wall went up there. I think you're getting a trend here. Over 90%. 96% illegal border crossings went down. Walls work. That's the plain truth of this. The statistics behind it show that walls do work. If anyone says, hey, walls don't matter, read them off those statistics because they work. Um, You know, and if you don't want to take our statistics, if you don't want to look at the United States' numbers, which you should, but if you don't, just look at Israel. Ask Israel. And again, that's not just a, you know, just a catch line. There's statistics behind this. Terror events before the wall went up in Israel, were catastrophic. Catastrophic. It was daily. It was multiple times a day. Terror events in Israel after their wall went up went down 90%. 90%. So we are averaging, every time a wall has gone up in history, to um, specifically to curtail illegal immigration and crossings, the average is over 90%. The average is Probably around, uh, I told you guys yesterday, I suck at math. I'm going to say around 93%. The average out, 93%. So this is going to work. But the problem is, the government is letting us down, right? The government is letting us down. And I know, I know as libertarians, conservatives, uh, as we identify as, this does not surprise us. This is not shocking. Everything we entrust to the government, they always let us down. I mean, really, they're there for our defense. This is a a defense issue, so they should be on top of this. But even in our defense, the thing that the one thing that as conservatives and libertarians, the one thing that we would empower them for, they are letting us down on. (laughs) That's that's, that's ridiculous. Stupid. Moronic. The one thing, the one thing we empower them on, letting us down. Um. I went on yesterday. I, I went on. I, you know, if Sarah would have let me babble more, which you know, you guys are probably glad that she stopped me, but I would have babbled more on the VA. Again, that's one thing that you would think that the government should be able to work towards. You know, like that should be that should fall under their umbrella. But and I, you know, I agree. Like you know, if you go out and you know, I fought in Afghanistan. You know, you do believe, you have the you know the thought inside your mind. Like, look, if I get hurt, I know that the, that the government's got my back here. I know they're going to take care of my family. I know they're going to take care of my medical concerns, needs, all that stuff. I know they're going to have my back. And um, and and in my in in my personal experiences, they did have my back. Uh, I had some issues with going into hospitals and stuff. I did not want to go into a VA hospital when I was in the military. But I I never personally had a bad experience. It didn't let me down. Now there's tons of stories out there where it's exactly the opposite. I just didn't have that experience. But I I know friends, and I've heard enough stories. And I'm seeing everything that's going on today to know that, look, the VA is too important of an issue to just leave up to the government. 
It's just it's too it's it's too uh, important of an issue. And how many things uh, out there can we say like, look, yes, that, that, that's 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 uh, no, like, you, that's not your place. That is not your lane. You shouldn't be telling us what we can and can't do in those lanes, in those places, on those subjects. Um, there comes a time when, as conservatives, as libertarians, as Americans, for crying out loud, that we have to put you know take a stand and say, look. I, I, you know, kind of like a child, you know, but we're speaking to Washington, D.C. We're speaking to all of our elected officials. Um, speak to them like they're your children, like they're toddlers and say, OK, good job. You know, you, you tried, um, you know, it's learn from your mistakes. You know, you can never lose because you're going to build off these, you know, mistakes. That's fine. So we hope you learned. But we got it from here. Mom and dad has got it from here. That's how we should be with the government. We should treat them like the children that they are, and we should take responsibility for all of this on ourselves. Um, I always love to qu- uh, quote Alexis de Tocqueville. He wrote uh, "Democracy in America." Uh, a lot of you have probably read this before. Um, if you haven't, go read it. It's fascinating. Alexis de Tocqueville came over uh, from France, and he, uh, you know, way back in our country's beginning. And he was fascinated with this whole idea of American democracy. And he was like, why does this, this shouldn't work. Like, it makes no sense because everything that we rely on, uh, you know, back in Europe, like this welfare state, you know, the nanny state, um, they provide all this stuff for us. So that keeps people in check. Uh, It keeps people from like freaking out, you know, because, you know, and keeps people in line. They're beholden to the government because the government gives them so much junk. And our like our thought process was completely alien to them. They're like, "What do you mean? Like, how do you keep these people under control if you don't give some you know, give them something to maintain control, which is this like heavy dependence on the government?" And we just didn't believe that. So like they, they were like, well, "This makes no sense to me." Um, America, what makes America great um, is that, and Alexis Tocqueville, you know, uh, he he pointed this out, was that they have a lack of government aid. But for some reason, and an intervention, but for some reason, the people don't seem to mind that. In fact, they welcome that. And they make up for the lack of government aid with charity. Americans, he was saying, were amazingly, like, almost supernaturally charitable. Uh, churches, he picked out churches. He, uh, you know, picked out other charity, uh, you know, like institutions. But the point was, is that the American people stepped forward when the government would not. Why aren't we doing that today? Why? I mean, I understand like we are still the most charitable nation in the world. Um, We're charitable to our fellow man. Uh, We are, I mean, the church, oh my goodness, never gets the credit that it deserves as far as the amount of assistance it gives. Um, My boss, Glenn's Church, is one of the most charitable organizations on the face of the planet, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They are, oh my goodness, like I've done some extensive, extensive travel working here. Uh, I've been all over the Middle East. I've been all over South America. I've been to Africa. I've been everywhere. And Glenn's Church is everywhere. It's everywhere. And they're out there living it, and they're feeding people, and they're doing things for people. It is amazing. But every de- all the denominations, all all faiths uh, that are, are based, that have bases here in the United States, are traveling everywhere, all over the country, all over the world, and they're making people's lives better. And, and, and they never get the coverage for it. They never get the coverage for it. Everywhere where the UN doesn't go, the church goes. Everywhere where the U.S. government doesn't go, the church goes. Um, 
you know, and that, and that really ticks me off. That's kind of like been my own personal jihad, you know, is to like bring that to light and show people that, you know, look, look how, look how much we're doing in the world. Um, I want to read that Paul Ryan just gave a uh, farewell address. And uh, if you haven't read it, I, I strongly recommend reading the entire thing. Now, I know, I know Paul Ryan's not the greatest. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I'm not a huge fan but I am a fan of what he wrote. Now, it's like way too long to, to read all of it. But uh, I want to read this one little excerpt. And this is, like a, is kind of long, so just like bear with me. So, quote, Our culture is meant to be shaped not by our political institutions, but by the mediating institutions of civil society, of the community. These are the places where we can't come together with people of different backgrounds. Churches, charities, teams, PTA meetings. It is where we build up our social capital, the currency which keeps us rooted to where we live and how we live with one another. Rediscovering that human connection is one lane on the road back to aspiration and inclusion as the guiding influences in public life. Paul Ryan, everyone. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. That is amazing. That's the people that we this is the type of message that we need. We need people that are saying these things. We need we need I don't I don't want uh the GOP up there and like I don't want them to stand there and compromise and not fight and say stupid things, do stupid things. I want you to teach conservatism. I if you claim to be the conservative party, I want you to go up there and advocate it to the top of your lungs at the highest mountain what it actually is. Millennials and young people, they don't it's not that they don't believe in conservative principles. It's not that uh, that they are straight up rejecting it and accepting socialism and liberalism, and that's not the case. Young people are incredibly smart; they have the ability to get it. It's not that they don't believe in it. The problem is, is they are not being told it. They're not being taught it. They're not being told what it means to be a conservative. Right now, the only thing they hear about about being a conservative is they hate women, they hate immigrants. And anybody else they hate, and they're oh yeah, they're fascists too. That's all they're get, that's all they're they're being told. They don't know. They didn't have a Ronald Reagan that was a disciple, not a disciple, but a follower of FDR, fan of FDR, who went through years and years as a public speaker of General Electric, researching this stuff on his own and coming to the conclusion that wow, government sucks, and if. I want to be in the government. My sole responsibility is to make sure that it gets the heck out of your way. Like you get into a debate with Reagan. I know that's so cliche to talk about, but if you get into a debate with Reagan or if he even gave a speech, you're like, wow, that guy knows his stuff. Can you say that about anybody today? If there's a GOP or Republican uh, president or congressman or whatever, if you can you say that about them today? Do you really think they believe what they what, what they're talking about? There's a few people that I could that I could pick out and say I they that I can definitely tell that they absolutely know what they're talking about. Um, I think Rand Paul knows what he's talking about. Mike Lee knows what he's talking about. I used to think Ted Cruz knew what he's talking about before he went totally gutless, and now you know he's gone for me. But um, I used to believe that, the, but I know that those guys know what they're talking about. The problem is they can't really sell it. That's the problem. We need someone charismatic who can go to young people and can this this uh, speech from Paul Ryan can. This is what they need to teach. Look, it's not about political organizations. That's what de Tocqueville said. That's what he observed back from our beginning. It's not about the government. It's about the people. It's about our it's about our churches, our charities, our teams, our PTA meetings. It's about you coming together, organizing together. 
So if we want to get this wall built, if this is something that we really want to do, let me, you know what? Let me backtrack from the wall for a second. If you are a, a if you're a liberal and you really think that single payer single payer healthcare is a thing for you, if you think that healthcare should be fully funded, why are you just leaving it up to the government? If it's a life and death situation for you, if people are dying in the streets, because that's what you're being told and that's what you're saying, that's how you're trying to sell this issue. If people are dying in the streets, why would you leave it up to somebody else to do it for you? Why would you leave it up to government that has never accomplished a single darn thing and done it well? Why would you leave it up to the government if it's that big of an issue for you? This is life and death. You want to hand it into the hands of somebody else? If your child is, uh, is facing something, I don't know, and it's like, if it's, if it's a life or death situation, do you want somebody else that you don't know, that you hardly trust, that's never done anything properly before to do it for you? Uh-uh. Not me. That guy, you can step aside. I'll take it from here. That has to be our mantra. That has to be what we're all about. Stand aside and we'll take it from here. Let's go into this really soon. Uh, I got to cut. Wow. How have I been blabbing for 29 minutes? Ron, how'd that happen, dude? Um, so, yeah, I did not expect that, especially with Saragon. But we are going to talk about taking it from here. There's a guy that's doing this. Oh, my goodness. This is an amazing story. I want everyone to go and don't. Uh, nah, I won't say that. I'm donating to this. You can do what you want. But anyway, this is this is the craziest story I think I've seen, and the amount of money is nuts. We're taking it from here. We're coming back in just a few minutes. Welcome back to the Steve Dace Show. I am Jason Butchel filling in for the great Steve Dace. Um, Sarah is still, I haven't let her out of the kitchen, guys. She's still making my sandwich. Uh, we'll see. I might let her out a little bit later. But uh, if she's lucky, she might make an appearance a little bit later. But until then, we're stuck with each other. Um, number to call in if you guys want to talk to me, yell at me, whatever, is 888 um, I want to just really quick uh, talk about or mention uh, something I talked about yesterday was... Um, uh, like, you know, maintaining your online privacy and security and not using browsers like Chrome or Safari, all these other browsers that were designed very specifically to um, spy on you. Um, but there is one uh, browser and uh, Nancy uh, wrote, uh, tweeted at me and said, what was that browser you recommended on the show today? And uh, I tweeted back at her, but just so everyone knows, um, so the whole class can hear, uh, it's the Tor browser, T-O-R. And if you guys go through my Twitter, you can uh, see my response to her. And I actually put a link right there uh, the tour you can go and use that browser. And you can also get the app for your, uh, whatchamacallit, for your, for your phone, your, your tablet, all that stuff. And uh, so you can completely just you know, not use on any device uh, something that's spying on you. So Tor Browser is awesome. Uh, my Twitter handle, just uh, thanks, Chance. My Twitter handle, because I didn't mention it, was at Jason Buttrell. That's at uh, Jason, B-U-T-T-R-I-L-L. That's, that's Buttrell pronounced, by the way, not Buttrell. Uh, whoa, whoa. I'm looking at my phone line, and I guess uh, I mentioned phones, and I forgot to look up the phones. There's like a t- it's, The phones are blowing up. Uh, I'm just going to pick a random one there because like, the whole like monitor is like destroyed with people calling in. Uh, I don't know. Let's maybe go. Guys, let's hit, I don't know, throwing darts at the screen. Line three, Darian in Michigan. What's up, brother? Hey, Jason. Hey, dude. What's on your mind? Uh, I'm calling in about millennials. 
you yes, know, sir. the whiniest generation. Um, <laughs> I didn't say that well, right. That's you, right? Saying that? No, no, that's me. Uh, well, I am one. And uh, I happen to think that we believe in socialism for many reasons. I'm not a socialist. I want to say that. Don't, don't, don't hang me out to dry just yet. Right. Uh, I think it offers a chance for us to pin the blame for our terrible lives, yeah. in quotes, terrible lives on other on other generations. It allows us to be a little less driven. It allows us to rebel against our elders. That's a big part. Mm. Um, it hits the you hit the nail on the head about not getting the message out to us. Yeah. But uh, we're also told by most older people that we're lazy, that we're rude, and that we're losers that melt under pressure, which is true. Mm. Most of us haven't met any form of challenge in our lives. Yeah. My question to you is. How does the conservative movement reach a generation that sees most of us at first glance as poor, hating, religious nutcases? And how do we get conservatives to see my generation on a case-by-case basis? The kids you see on TV and in colleges and in the squares marching are not a good example. I work 80 to 100-hour work weeks, typically. Mm. I pay my bills. I don't live with my parents. And as a non-snowflake millennial, I want to know how we begin to reach my generation before we become the red Bolsheviks of tomorrow. If we are continued to be largely looked at as ridiculous children and given no responsibility, we will destroy the republic when we take control in 10 to 20 years. And this is not, uh, I'm not trying to pass the buck or, or lay blame at anyone else's feet, but man, we weren't raising ourselves. This, this is not just us. There are parenting issues involved. There are faith issues involved. There's rebellion amok. How do we reach us? I love the question uh, back at me, um, uh, Darian. I before I answer, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna ask one more question of you, then I'm gonna let you go, and then I'm gonna answer your question. Um, okay. So the one question back at you before I answer is, like, have you are you are you mocked for your for your beliefs for not kind of going along, you know, with the train here, the socialist train, the you know far left train? Are you mocked? Are you called like, what do they say to you? Do they say you're a bigot? Do they call you a fascist? Do they basically just say you're, I don't know. I, I, they say you're not cool. Like I'm curious what it's like to be in your shoes when you're surrounded and outnumbered. I guess that depends. It's a case by case basis. If it's, uh, if it's over social media or behind a computer screen, everyone turns into this, um, superhero of outrage. Oh, for sure. But in, uh, in, in, in a, you know, a face-to-face conversation, people, people tend not to want to be that, that giant raging jerk and they want to try and reach you and they want to, they want to talk to you and have some form of reasonable conversation. If it's not, if it's not 20 people in a room, if there are four or five people sitting around my age, I can have a good conversation with people that on policy, I agree with nothing almost that they want. I might have a few small things about, about reforms that I like that they like, but I've noticed that Nine times out of 10, even if our policies don't agree, our morals line up. Even if we don't pray to the same God, our, our values are based on Judeo-Christian principles that were built up in the West. And even, even kids my age, yes, kids that have not lived very long in the adult world can admit that Judeo-Christian principles founded the West. Yeah. They can do that in a, in a, in a face-to-face conversation. So I you're it just, it, so the conversations are civil ahead. at least. You're not. It's not like a shouting exactly. match, and they're not just shutting you down by calling you well, a bigot or fascist. Obviously, when you begin to talk about things like this, it can get a little heated from time to time. Yeah. But uh, that's just someone who's passionate about what they feel. Yeah. And 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 they're just trying to get their point across. And none of my, my friends, my my neighbors, they're I love them to death. But they're a bunch of uh, they're a bunch of hippies, <laughs> and um, they are. And 
and I talk with them on a regular basis, and we disagree on probably 90% of policies. I have to defend our president when he, you know, does the the mandatory foot and mouth that he does every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it doesn't make them hate me. Yeah. It, my neighbors love me, and I love my neighbors because they're good people, and I do my best to follow the word. I won't take up much more of your time, Jason. Thank you for filling in. You've been doing a great job. Have a good day. Thanks, brother. Thanks for calling in. Um, so, yeah, now I'm going to answer, Darian. Um, I think that uh, what's interesting is, is that, that conservatives somehow became the uh, somehow became the, the old guy in a bow tie. They became the Bill Nyes of, of politics. So, like, if we had a, you know, a, a mascot, you know, and, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, an elephant. It was suddenly, you know, suddenly it's not that. It's like a, uh, it, it literally would be Bill Nye. Only it wouldn't be called Bill Nye. It would be like, it would look like Bill Nye. So basically the dorkiest thing you can think of. And for somehow, like, I think it happened, I don't know, let's, let's go back. So like you had Reagan, then you had, you had eight straight years of Reagan, you had eight straight years of Bush. And then the Democrats were like, holy crap like i'm sorry you didn't have eight straight years you had four years of bush then the democrats were like oh my gosh like what are we going to do like we have completely lost the narrative of the country so they had to redefine themselves they had to somehow redefine themselves so somehow they were able to become you know the the party of the blue collar you know like bill clinton uh democrat they were the ones that cared about the workers they're the ones that cared about the people in the small towns the manufacturers, that was their people. Now, it's, that's completely flipped now. Like That's something that, that, tr- that President Trump did well in his campaign was that he was able to reach out to those people that before were, would, would be hardcore in Clinton's favor. But he was able to reach out to them um, by saying, look, I, like, I understand you, I get you. But the problem is, is that they've continued this rebrand and they've now not become the, the people of the small guy and the small worker, but they've been the people that you know, are, you know, this social justice crowd that, you know, says, if you don't believe me, then, you know, if you don't believe in like the empowerment of women, then you hate women. Um, and they'll concoct all kinds of, you know, like strategies or like, you know, catchphrases to make you seem like you're a misogynist or make you seem like you're a racist or to make you seem like a bigot. And slowly but surely we become, we became the Bill Nye's of politics. We became the dorks. It, like it wasn't popular. And, that's really kind of where we where we are right now, and it's really fascinating to me because we are the rebels of politics. That's like that's where the rebranding uh, needs to happen. We have to now rebrand ourselves. Well, first of all, we need someone to be able to adequately teach it, articulately teach it, and say, "Look, forget about the catchphrases. Forget about the people that are shutting you down by calling you these names and labeling you." as a racist, bigot, misogynist, whatever, pick whatever, fascist, whatever. Forget all that crap. This is actually what it is. And I think that the more we can do that, or the more, the more effectively we can do that, we can show that like millennials and, and the younger generation, sh- there's, like, they've never liked people to tell them what to do ever. Like, think about that. Like, they've never liked, the, they, they don't want to do what their parents tell them to do. They've never been about that. Like, no, I'm not going to do what any adult tells me to do. So if you're like that, then why would you let a government tell you to tell you what you can do for every aspect in your life? It makes no sense. Like, we need to be the party of that. We need to show that. Like, look, you are, this is a movement. This is a rebellion. Like, straight up, like, we, you, welcome to the rebellion. 
That has to be moving forward. Now, not rebellion against the government, nothing like that. But, well, I mean, it's kind of like that. I mean, it, it really is. It's like, look, like I said before, like, we'll take it from here. We don't need you to take over these things because we've got it ourselves. We are self-reliant. We can take care of our neighbor, like Darian was talking about. He loves his neighbors. He, he, Darian will take care of his neighbors. Neighbors will take care of him. I don't have to wait for the police to show up for me to protect mine and the people around me. Because we have a Second Amendment. We can do that ourselves. You are your first line of, uh, of defense. It's not the police. The police are a backup. But that hasn't been, that hasn't been talked about in a cool way. You know, like that hasn't been shown to be like the hip what line of thinking because we don't have anybody to sell it. No one's been able to sell it. And that's where we're getting screwed up. There is, and I don't remember the name of the movement, but it's in Brazil. Now, if you like are curious about this, Google like Brazil libertarians or something like that. But what basically what it is is a bunch of kids that like they were they were pissed off and they were sick of years of socialist policies in Brazil. And they were like, hey, like we're, we're kind of, you know, we come to that, that conclusion, like we're going we're gonna to have to take care of this ourselves. But the problem is, is like the same thing we're going through here is he was like, but, you know, the people that are advocating conservatism were dorks. They had Rand Paul come over and talk to them. And he actually spoke to them in Brazil. And he was like, oh, my gosh, like Rand Paul's a nerd. They're like, nobody in our age group is going to listen to Rand Paul because he's a dork. Uh, that's probably what people think about me. Like, I know that's what my kids think about when I start saying, hey, no, you know, and I start telling them, like, your dad's a dork. We don't have, like, someone hit, like, I don't know, Chris nodding his head, saying, yeah, you're a dork, dude. Um, we don't have anybody that can, like, adequately talk about this stuff. And the Brazilian kids were like, yeah, like, that's the problem. So they took it on themselves, and they created this huge, like, social media online campaign to just talk about the issues, that's all they did. They didn't say, hey, I'm part of this party, this party, this party, this party. They just talked about the issues, and they did it with memes. They did it with YouTube videos. Um, do, Chris, did you see this? Like, these guys, I got to send this to you. This is amazing. But just like Google, for everyone out there, Brazil Libertarians, and you'll see all this. I think Reason Magazine did, like, a documentary uh, on this. I'll have to ask our own Andrew Heaton about it because I, I think that he knows about it. But, um, but yeah, like, th this is an amazing group. But they kind of provided the blueprint to where if you are like Darian, if you're a young, if, if you're a millennial or younger, and you're like, how do I make this cool? You could almost copy that playbook. You can just look into the, these kids. Uh, and I'll, like, I'll, I'll, I'll tweet something out later, like maybe a link to, like, uh, like I said, what's uh, uh, a reason did like a full profile on them, documentary and write up and everything. Maybe I'll just tweet a link to that or something. But um, but I was like, wow! I was like, that really is the blueprint. Like these guys are 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 in a cool way showing that this is the party of rebels. These these are the policies of of, of rebels. They're the policies of like I'm not going to take this, you know, sitting down. I'm not I'm not going to let people tell me what to do all the time. I mean, again, these are very very like as Americans, this is how we should believe. I mean, it's probably why we've resisted socialism and socialist policies for this long because in our hearts and souls, that's who we are. We need somebody to rise up now and teach that and show it in a cool way so that the younger generation can latch on to it. Um, I've got to get to these phones still because uh, I'm never going to get to all these calls. Um, I'm going to go to, I think that's Lewis in Virginia. What is up, Lewis? Yeah, buddy. Um, Thanks, brother. My question to you is about this uh Trump the other day making the announcement of not doing the wall and then coming out and saying that Mexico is going to get $5 billion dollars. I don't understand. Everything that I've been able to pull up or, or any of the news broadcasts don't ex explain what this $5 billion is for. Why are they getting $5 billion? Why? 
Okay. Uh, and I yeah, re- like, it was more than I, Mexico though, right? It was like Mexico and all of South America. Well, every time they say it on the news, it's uh, five billion going to Mexico. I think it's and and Lewis, I think it's even more than that, dude. I, I think it, it seemed like I read somewhere it was like ten billion. It's astronomical. It's insane. Um, so that money. Uh, it goes to like a bunch of different programs down in South America, but this is the craziest thing, and this might and this might piss you off even more, uh, dude. They oh, like their militaries. Uh, a vast majority of that money goes down to their militaries, like in Honduras, where all the migrants you know are coming from lately. Uh, all those like different governments. The, there were the, there was this uh, government plan, which it was a Condor. Now I'm like my history is getting jumbled in my head, but there was a plan to 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 combat the Soviet Union and the and the spread of communism back in the 80s. And uh, I, th- I want to say it was Operation Condor, but I don't remember. But um, they, they put in this, this funding package to, uh, to fund all these uh, South American militaries and governments with, like, stability packages. So that, that money went to their military, they went to their police, all that stuff to help them maintain order so that you didn't have these, like, crazy, like, Marxist rebels like the FARC in Colombia, you know, rising up and taking over the country. A lot of that stuff originated from there. So, like, you know, the vast majority of this stuff is old. Like, we shouldn't be doing it anymore. It's just, it's ridiculous. Is, is that an increase in funds going there, or is that the same amount, or what is it? I think it's fluctuated. I, I, just, I, I, I think that it's, it's definitely different at this point. I think it, I think it has increased at, at, cer- at certain levels at different times. But, like, I think El Salvador just, like, got a, an increase not too long ago. Uh, I just think it's strange that they announced that they're not going to do the wall, and then they're going to have $5 billion going to them. I, I just don't understand it. But anyway, I won't yeah, take up for your time. I appreciate all your, your all your efforts and your research is outstanding. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Take Lewis. Care. Thanks for calling in, man. Yeah, like Lewis is, is, is pointing out like something very, you know, something it should be obvious. You know, like we shouldn't be we shouldn't be uh if you can't get if you can't get five billion dollars to, to build this wall, then you shouldn't be uh um whatchamacallit. You shouldn't you shouldn't be giving them multi, multiple billions of dollars when you could just like pull that back. And actually the the president made mention that he was going to stop providing some of those funds to Honduras if they weren't able to stop the, you know, the migrant caravans from crossing the border. He didn't mention that. I don't. I don't know if anything happened, but it was a threat. But really, I mean, we shouldn't be giving their their military any more funds anyway. There's no spread of there's the threat of uh, spreading communism is not there anymore. And even if it is, it's. I mean, I, I think at this there's there's no there's no global leader. That's going. That's like the Soviet Union. That's backing that to ensure that it, you know, defeats co- uh, capitalism. That 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 threat is is long since sailed, and I I don't I kind of doubt that it'll, it'll ever be tried in that way again. Um, but man, I keep on wanting to get to uh, to an example of us kind of taking it from here. But I, I, there's no way I'm going to be able to get to this uh, in, in the in the amount of time. I guys, this is going fast. I cannot believe this. Sarah, where are you at? Oh, she's still in the kitchen. Uh, anyway, well, no, that's to, no more tomatoes. She's going to get tomatoes put on there a little guacamole. So, <laughs> well, uh, she'll keep working on that. I might let her out here uh, in the future, but, um, I want to set this up again because it's been a while. We kind of got sidetracked uh, a little bit with the calls. Um, if you've called in, uh, don't hang up. I'll get back to you, uh, in a little bit, but we're like, so cl- I don't want to cut you off. Cause we're like so close to uh, getting to the top of the hour and I have to break again. This is, this is insane. Um, <clears throat> but, um, to set up going into, uh, when we come back from the break here in a little bit, uh, I, I, I just want to, I just want to talk about again about how, you know, if, if we want to do this, just like the, uh, people that I was talking about, 
uh, about the people, uh, the, the, the millennials and the younger kids in Brazil. If this is something that we really believe in, if this is something that we want to do, we've got to do it on our own. If you, I don't care if you believe in Medicare for all. I don't care if you believe in single-payer health care. If it's something you truly believe in, do it. Do it. Don't wait for the government to do it. Don't go and lobby to the government to do it. Do it on your own. Okay, I don't, I don't care. Like, if you, need, if you need the funding for something, let's say it's Medicare for all. Let's say that. And you need a gazillion trillion dollars, whatever ridiculous amount of money it is. Then you make a campaign, you start a campaign, and you, and you do it on your own. You start it. Movements have a beginning. Be that beginning. Be the beginning of a movement. Do it. Um, we're not talking about violence. We're not talking about any of that stuff. That's the tactics of the radical left. What we're talking about is being what Alexis de Tocqueville said, where our, we are good because of our charities, because of our churches, because of our goodwill towards men, and our, and our uh, rationale that the government will not, will not always be there for us, and we don't trust them for any of this stuff. We don't. It's as simple as that. They're not going to do it, so we are going to do it on our own. Um, when, when I'm about to cut for break, but when I come back, there is a man, an American hero, Frickin' Captain America, for crying out loud. Frickin' Captain America. Um, he's doing this on his own. He uh, has decided that he's not going to take it anymore. And he's not going to leave something that he really thinks is our responsibility up to the government. He's going to do it on his own. When we come back, I'm going to tell you all about it. Welcome back to the Steve Day Show. I am Jason Butchel, at Jason Butchel. If you want to tweet at me, shoot me some questions, yell at me, or most importantly, agree with me. Um, or you can call in. Why not? Uh, 888-900-3393. Um, call in. Do the same. Uh, yell at me, agree with me, whatever. Um, let's talk. Let's have a conversation. Um, okay, so, I mean, this is like... Everything else I've, I'm complaining about today, I like. I really don't want to do. I don't want to be that guy, you know, that like <clears throat> that complains all the time. I don't want to be that dude. Um, I want to tell these stories. Now, last night, right? So I, I hear about this story that I'm kind of like cleverly teasing right now. I'll let you know what the story is in a second. But there's this dude that set up this GoFundMe page, and last night, I mean, the first thing I looked at it, and his goal was one billion dollars. One billion dollars. Like, it's like you got to put your pinky to your lip, Dr. Evil style, when you're saying that. One billion dollars. That's his goal. Um, and he had a million dollars towards his goal. This morning, as of right now, he has made four million more dollars in the span of less than 12, what is it, like 12 hours or something like that? Five million dollars total. Five million dollars. On this GoFundMe page. Holy crap. Like, what? I, I've never heard of so much. I mean, there must have been something as successful, but is this going to be the most successful GoFundMe campaign ever? This is nuts. Now, check this out. Like, seriously, if you're not on the road right now, if you're anywhere, right now, quickly type in www.gofundme.com slash the Trump wall. Okay. Check this out. This dude, his name is, what's his name? His name is, hold up a second. His name is, lost the name, Brian Colfage. Brian Colfage. 
Um, Brian is a U.S. Uh, Air Force veteran. He um, is also a triple amputee. His story is very, very heartbreaking, um, but very, very courageous and amazing at the same time. He was uh, stationed uh, overseas. Uh, he was in Iraq, and he walked outside a tent, and uh, there was a, a rocket attack right when he walked out. Uh, it was like a 120-millimeter mortar or rocket or something fell like just a few feet from him, and he lost both legs, and he lost one of his arms. And it's horrible. Um, but this does not define Brian. Um, Brian really believes in the wall, like a lot of us do. And he's also pissed. He's like, look, I'm, this is exactly what I was just talking about. Like, we can't leave decisions like this up to the government. It's just way too important. This, this cannot be, you know, this can't be something we put on their shoulders. This is about the security of the nation. Security of the nation. The one thing that we are entrusting you and say, yes, that is your lane. That's the main thing you're there for. You're not doing it. 5.1 million. Like, as I'm refreshing this... As I'm trying to. It says, uh, oh, that's, well, mine says $5,173,822. That's what mine says. So that's nuts. It's raised, uh, let's see, 84,000 people, almost 85,000 people in the last three days. The largest donation was, I think, $10,000. But if you go through and then check out... Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so it's a total of almost 84,000 donations. And you go through here, and everyone's uh, not just doing the minimum. Like, there is a ton of $100, uh, uh, $100 donations, $25, $20, $80, $100. People are, like, giving hardcore. Some of these are kind of funny. Like, you know how you can put, like, who... You can either remain anonymous, or you can write your name as far as, you know, if you want people to know who you are. But, like, some of them are, like, uh, Crooked Hillary was one. Uh, one was Adam Schiff. <laughs> uh, some people donated in the name of Barack Obama. <laughs> this is great. Uh, where's some other funny ones? Uh, yeah, these are hilarious. Um, but but people are like going crazy on this, and as they should, as they should. This is like crazy cool. So the uh, the Trump administration was originally asking for five billion. This is. Just uh, this is just, you know, one, you know, one billion of that five. But uh, Brian has talked about on his uh, on his GoFundMe page that even if we only get half of, of you know, or even just a just a, a small portion of this wall, that that would be enough. So, it, I mean, not enough, but that, at least that would get us started. We could at least secure part of the border. Uh, we get a fifth of the border, you know, fully secured with the wall Um you know, in a good one, not just, you know, you know, a chain link fence and some barbed wire at the top, an actual, you know, strong wall. And uh, this guy, this is not a scam, right? Like this guy, he's been he's been all over the news lately. I think he's going to be on Lauren Ingram tonight, possibly. Uh, he mentions on his GoFundMe that, that, that he might be on later tonight. Um he, like his background is well documented. So like this is like this is not like I said, this is not a scam. Um, he's also said that if they don't, uh, reach their goal of $1 billion, that every single penny will be refunded back to the people that donated. So if you're, if you're scared that you're just kind of donating to a lost cause, I mean, 1 billion is a lot, 5 million is a lot, but long way to go to 1 billion. So if you're worried about like, this is insane. Like, you know how, like on the GoFundMe page, it shows like the little meter and it shows like it'll, it'll keep on filling up 
until it hits the one billion. It's like you would th- you would look at that and see five million dollars in there, and you would think that you would be way pat like the line would be fully filled up, and it you know whatever they're going for, they would have went over. But there's like a tiny little fraction that uh that that, that five million dollars has gone towards filling this thing up. But I mean, this is an incredible feat, and this is just amazing on so many different levels. Now I would. I, it was interesting. I had this uh, conversation with um, with a few of my colleagues. We we're sitting around uh, in our little we call it the think tank in our little area where we go and like you know let's look where our, our computers and offices are and stuff. And I was like, this is amazing. And like one guy uh, is a liberal, and I love talking to him because he's got like a different viewpoint from from that I do. So I learn a lot from him, and I, and I hope he learns from me. We have a very uh, uh, cordial conversation, and and we both come out of things uh, away from it knowing stuff and, and learning stuff. So I love talking to him about a lot of this stuff to get a different viewpoint. And um, he had his viewpoint on this. And then I talked to another guy that's kind of like more along the lines of my me politically. And uh, he wasn't too thrilled with, you know, he's like, he goes, yeah, it's like, you know, that people are donating for a wall because he, he, didn't, he didn't really believe in the wall. And which is perfectly fine. A lot of people don't think it'll be it's wasteful and they think that we don't need it. But a lot of us do really believe in it. I personally believe in it because I've given you the numbers. Um, every time we put up a wall, it's 90%, you know, like I said before, uh, illegal crossings go down over 90%. Um, so I think it's, I, I think it's mandatory. I think we have to get it done. Um, but it was interesting because I was like, okay guys, well, if you don't believe in this, and I said this before in the previous hour, I was like, just any, any issue at all, forget that it's about the wall. Um, for my one friend that's liberal, I said, what about single payer healthcare? I don't even know if he believes in that, but, um, but I said, just, just consider that. Like, what if it was single payer healthcare and you had a ton of people that were trying to raise a trillion dollars, let's say, I don't know, I don't know what that's going to cost some insane amount of number. Um, and, and what if they were making headway and they were, and, and the people of the United States, just the regular people, the farmers, the factory workers, everyone had raised $5 million towards that goal. You would say that's amazing. You would say that's absolutely amazing. Pick any other issue. Let's say you want to eradicate homelessness in this country. I think both people on both the left and the right could get behind that. Yeah, we want to do something about it. But the government always sucks with it. They always ask for more money and they don't do anything that actually fixes the problem. Typically, they ask for more money and they they double down on progressive liberal policies. See San Francisco or anywhere else in California where they're asking for more money and not doing a thing to fix the actual problem. But... um. Think of think of think of what we could do for homelessness if we just set a uh, a price and said you know what it's going to cost this many hundreds of billions of dollars to provide work programs to get them started to get them on their way so that they can become self reliant how much money would that cost and that we had saved and that or that we have just as on GoFundMe or just through crowdsourcing we had raised over five million dollars to eradicate homelessness in this country oh my uh, OMG as my daughter would say OMG. It would be huge. Why isn't there a GoFundMe page for every single issue that both the left and the right can come together on and say, look, we both believe that this is a problem. We don't, you know, we think people should have more health care. We think that people should not be homeless. We think these people should have access to more food, cleaner water. We believe in all these issues. We just disagree with how it should come. You think the government should provide all these things? But we, but the other side says no. I, I don't think they, I don't want to. I don't want to give that to the government because that's giving them more power. I think that should be in private ownership. Okay, so fine. Like we believe there is a problem. The way we can come together on this is say, look, work with me. We're going to work together. We're both going to raise the funds for this. Now we can either give this the funds to the government 
You know, after all this, so we don't have to ask for money, they don't have to raise taxes on us, whatever, and let them do it, which is, by the way, that's what Brian uh, Kolfage has said, that he says he's working with the Trump administration on this, um, so that when he reaches his goal, they have the contacts that they will then transfer the money over to the people in the Trump administration to begin construction. That's what he's done. Um, and that's in, in that case, that's probably really the only way to do it, because otherwise, I mean, I guess you could still do it, but otherwise there's like all this stupid red tape crap that you'd have to deal with like you know i don't know like you know epa stuff you know like i'm sure if you wanted to throw down the wall in a certain area in arizona there'd be some turtle that's about to go extinct or something like that and they'd have an issue with or you know like there's property uh, issues like you'd have to go to like people that own the property in those areas and you have to negotiate with them it could be done it would just be very very difficult and the government could probably has probably already they probably already have a plan to get a lot of that stuff done um, but a lot of these issues you don't have to go to the government for. Um, my, one of my, uh, you know, things that I don't want to trust the government with was the VA. Um, I should like put my money where my mouth is and stop talking about it and do what Brian Colfage here has done. And I should just start this. I should get a, a businessman that's willing to run it. And I should say, look, you've got experience in running all these hospitals. Uh, you know, you're, you're blowing up the medical industry with your new ideas. I am going to start a crowdfunding thing to help to enable you to go out and to get the money and start a VA. Start the VA. We'll start funding it all through charitable donations. Um, and then anybody else that wants to start. I mean, I have a, I have a feeling there would be like this Field of Dreams, Kevin Costner scenario, that if we build it, they would start coming. They, meaning you know investors and stuff like that. And eventually, you would get, it would be very, very hard for the government not to you know, start providing money just on their own, you know, just start providing grants and all that stuff to help fund this thing. Because veterans eventually would like, there would still be the VA, but veterans wouldn't go to the VA anymore. Like, why would you? If it sucks, if you, uh, like what we said yesterday, there was that, they, they, they had pledged over, what was it? I can't remember how much money. They had pledged like multi, multiple millions of dollars for um, for a, like an ad campaign to help promote uh um, you know, uh, to, to help combat mental illness and suicide sui- and help pr- suicide prevention for veterans. But they had only spent like $50,000 of that. That is shameful. That is absolutely shameful. They should be ashamed of themselves. But the problem is I, I don't think they are because there's no competition for them. They don't have to. Even if they do that, you know, they're, they're, they know that some guy on the Blaze radio is going to like complain at them and yell at them for a while and he's going to lose his voice because he's so pissed off. But in the end, it's going to die out and they're not going to have to put up with anybody coming out like any other outside competition. You know, it's interesting. And I mentioned how I've traveled around. The more I've dealt with uh, NGOs that do similar stuff, like when the uh, when the when they're when they're irritated with the U.N. And let's say Africa. So if they're irritated that the the U.N. is not dealing with uh, like like outbreaks of Ebola and stuff like that, then these NGOs will roll in. They have tons of money, but they'll roll in and they'll provide the care that the UN or the government there is not providing. Now, I've seen this with my own eyes. They'll, uh, the NGOs get incredibly competitive. So they'll start trying to outdo each other because they want the funds. So the, like the, the better they do, the more funding that they'll get from outside sources. So why is that not happening here? Like, why can't we extrapolate that through, uh, through the, the generosity of ordinary, average, everyday Americans? Like, we could compete with them in doing projects like what Brian Colfage here is doing. Like, for my VA pro- uh, project, I could start something up, get the CEO, get it running. Pretty soon, just, just, from, the, just from how American works, how uh, competition is built, 
you'd get other people trying to rise up to either join you or to do better than you are so that they could be the ones that are taking it. And I say, great. If I don't even care if I'm not successful, if somebody else beats me to it and they create a VA that is not controlled by the government, that's private and is doing a heck of a better job, which wouldn't be too hard, by the way, if they can do that, then I'm all for it. But the problem is we, but the issue is that we began it. We started it. Brian Colfage here is like starting something that I think we should all just, we, sh- we shouldn't just look at it as a, a thing for a wall. We shouldn't. This should be a much larger lesson that we're learning. Uh, and it's also another amazing example of American conservatism, American individualism. Even if you don't agree on the wall, like I said, even if you don't agree with that, if your thing is some liberal cause, if your thing uh, uh, is, I don't know, pick, pick one, whatever your, uh, whatever your beef is with the government and you're not taking care of this issue, this issue, this issue, you've promised us this, you haven't done a thing about that, do it on your own. Start your own crowdsource campaign. Start your own GoFundMe. Start your own NGO type uh, uh, group. Begin it. Start it. That right there is conservatism. That's American individualism. We got this from here. We'll take it. We'll finish it. Uh, this is just, I, okay, so I'll stop preaching uh, at you on this uh, topic, but this is like something that, like, oh my gosh, I saw this, and this is what we need. We need more people like Brian Colfage. Uh, we need we need more Americans that are willing to do things like this, and you, and you need more people in the media that are pointing it out. Um, it shouldn't be me, a fill-in on a radio uh, station that's not even on the mainstream media. It shouldn't be people like me that are bringing this up, that this is the perfect example. You want to teach this to uh, millennials? You want to teach this to the younger generation? You show them campaigns like this one, and you tell them what it means. This is what we're about. This is what conservatives are about. It's not about being bigoted. It's not about being racist. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about taking responsibility for yourself. It's about taking responsibility for your fellow man, putting it on your shoulders, not expecting anybody else to take it for you, not expecting the government to eventually get around to it. Uh, we know they're going to lie about it anyway. They're going to they're promise it. They're going to lie about it. They're never going to get around to it. And they're going to keep on doing it just like this stupid omnibus bill. Like, do you know... I'm going to go into so many different tangents, but you know, like we've been screaming for fiscal conservatism for ever, forever. And we are now uh, topping out over one trillion in, uh, in, in the deficit. Over one trillion. That's a Republican controlled everything. One trillion budget. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. That's a, that's a tragedy. That's a travesty. That, I, I can't even fathom it. That's, so basically, that, that is over 4%. Uh, debt or was it uh, uh, was it debt to GDP ratio over four percent? So check this out. The only other times that we've been over four percent are there was one I was just talking with Glenn about this the other day. Uh, uh, FDR did that for over four percent. Uh, that's when he had the the uh, the budget the deficit up that high uh, when he was doing the New Deal when he was trying to get us out of the uh, Great Depression went over four percent. Um, uh, during the Cold War, it went over that as we were doing military spending going over. Um, uh, was a World War II. That was another one. Went over 4%. I'll see. All these make sense. Um, 2009, when we were doing uh, stuff like TARP and, try, and all the bank bailouts and trying to get out of a financial crisis. But, so what, what's the common denominator there? It's either in times of war or major financial crisis when we're over 4%. That's where we are right now. Are we, are we in a major war? 
Are we in a? Are we trying to recover from a major financial crisis? No, We've, we we have recovered from the last financial crisis. There's still issues, but we have technically recovered from it. So we should not be spending at the rate we're spending now. The GOP, who's supposed to be fiscally uh, conservative, fiscally responsible, those are the levels they're spending at, and we're not doing a thing to stop it. They're not even fighting for it. Like they they don't care. Why aren't we just just outraged, just livid over this? Why are we not on the phone 24 hours a day talking to our congressman saying, hey, like this is this is bullcrap. Like we're, we're not going to put up with this. Anyway, that's the spending. All right. So I'm going to get off this issue because, man, I, I, I spent the entire time on the wall. That's nuts. That's like almost a, an hour and a half. I'm going to pivot because I was saying before at the beginning of the show that this has been a dumpster fire week. There's been multiple things that have ticked me off. I'm going to move on to this latest bump stock ban. Okay, now, wow, like, I don't know how I haven't, I didn't start the show with this, because the Second Amendment probably is one of my biggest, you know, torch-bearing issues, the Second Amendment, because I believe in, you know, protecting both myself and my family, I am the first line of defense for all of us. And I even put that on, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm there to help my neighbors, you know, like, I am the, I am the first uh, line of defense, the police are my backup, you know, they'll, they'll come later, they're always, they're, they're going to come a lot later. But I am the first line of defense. Uh, and the Second Amendment allows me to do that. That's the way the founders intended it to be. That's all about uh, you know, self-reliance, individualism. Um, so let me pull up this thing. So the, uh, the Trump administration has moved to put a ban on bump stocks. Now, you probably know what this is, but just for the people that don't, I'm going to like do a really quick refresher. The bump stock is what, I mean, the reason it, it, it you know, became popular or not became popular, but got in the media was because that's what the uh, Las Vegas shooter, who I won't say his name, that's what the Las Vegas shooter used in all of his weapons to make his semi-automatic weapons appear like automatic weapons. So basically they just fired a whole lot faster. Now let's, let's kind of go into the mechanics of the bump stock really quick. So you understand it. Now the bump stock is kind of funny. It's just like, there's nothing mechanical in it. It's just like this plastic attachment that like you can put on your, on your weapon and it's like it, it, it's the buttstock on it, and like the uh, the uh, the pistol grip. It's it's like all like this one little attachment that you, that you can take the other one off and you put this on. It's really easy. It's really simple. It takes like fifteen minutes to put it on. But what it does is like let's say when you fire an AR fifteen, AR fifteen is gas powered. So when you depress the trigger, the uh, the to keep it as a semi automatic weapon, uh, the gas pushes the bolt forward, comes back, and it like you know there's like the recoil. So what the bump stock does, it puts like on, on the end of it, it makes it to where every time there's that recoil, when you shoot, when you press the trigger, it like bounces, it bounces back and forth. So then you like click, you push the trigger once and then it bounces back real quick and it like on its own, it makes the trigger, your finger hit the trigger again. So then it gets this. Brrr. So it's like you would, if you heard an automatic a machine gun and you heard something with a bump stock, it would sound very, very similar. So what it does is it increases the rate of fire. That's what a bump stock does. Um, so now the Trump administration, all on their own through executive order, is now moving to ban bump stocks. Uh, what is this? so? So the regulation. This is a quote from AP. The regulation gives gun owners until late March. Listen to this again. This is the, this is the Trump administration, not the Obama administration. Keep that in mind. Regulation gives gun owners until late March to turn in. Or destroy the devices. After that, it will be illegal to possess them under the same federal laws that prohibit machine guns. What? 
Are you kidding me? What part of shall not be infringed does this administration not understand? I don't want to make this sound like a complete and total like just slam session on the president because by and large, I, I have agreed with everything that he has done with the exception of tariffs, which I do not believe in. That's a whole nother discussion. Maybe we'll go into that tomorrow. But by and large, I don't have a problem with any of his uh, anything that he's really done up until this week. Um, but this is bad, guys. This is very, very bad. Mr. President, I'm speaking directly to the president right now. Very respectfully, Mr. President, you can't infringe on the Second Amendment by executive order. You cannot do that. N-O, no. Capital no. Capital letters all around. It can't be done. You're not supposed to be able to do this. This is unconstitutional, straight up unconstitutional. Now, imagine the precedent that this has begun. Like, Can you imagine if, imagine if Obama did this? I mean, just just imagine it. Let's look at the precedent here. So, like, any time, like again, a bump stock is a piece of plastic that just lets you shoot, just lets you depress the trigger faster. Now, I mean, this president, I can go, I can get precedent. I can go so many different ways on. Now he can ban. Now that they have the power, since they've set this to ban any kind of attachment onto a weapon they want, they can. Like any any other attachment, they can just say, "Hey, we think this is dangerous, so now we're going to ban it." Bullcrap. No, you can't. You can't touch that. That's not your lane. You cannot do that. The Constitution protects, uh, protects us from things like this happening. You can't. I mean, well, they, they can also go forward and say, well, you know, semi-automatic weapons can be too easily manipulated. So now we're going to go ahead and through executive order ban all semi-automatic weapons. This president, or this precedent, sorry, is an absolute dumpster fire inside 12 other big dumpsters like it's like a mat it's like a bunch of dumpsters that are on fire that have been thrown into another dumpster fire that's how bad this is if that makes any sense that's like if i was in junior high school like trying to like describe this that's how i would do it i get my brain still works that way this is horrible um for one okay so they're kind of like referencing for some context here the automatic weapons ban there was an automatic weapons ban in 1986 i believe automatic weapons ban 1986 which um which basically banned unless they were you know that you couldn't make any more uh, automatic weapons you couldn't own new automatic weapons you couldn't buy them out of the country or whatever but there was they 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 like acknowledge that there's older automatic weapons so um they kind of grandfathered them in but so now they're ridiculously expensive because they're old and there's a limited amount of them but all new weapons like so they're not going to confiscate those but you have to pay this huge tax if you want to keep them or if you want to buy them off of a you know someone that already owns one they're crazy expensive because they're limited, and you can't get new ones. So new, so basically, automatic weapons are are banned. Now, I want to read what the actual law in it says. Okay, so this is the actual text from the 1986 weapons ban. And let me just, and before I read that, let me just say the automatic weapons ban was blatantly unconstitutional. It's against the Second Amendment. I don't know how this ever happened. This is such a violation of the Second Amendment and our Constitution. Unconstitutional. They don't have the right to take away automatic weapons. They don't. Okay? Unconstitutional. All right, so, but this, but anyway, so this is what it says. Quote, any weapon which shoots is designed to shoot or can be readily restored to shoot automatically more than one shot without a manual reloading. Okay, now listen to this. This is bolded in capital letters. Without manual reloading, by a single function of the trigger. 
So that means the single function of the trigger would be you pulling back the trigger, squeezing it, and then you just hold on for dear life while tons of uh, rounds go down range. That's an automatic weapon. You don't have to pull the trigger multiple times. Um, you know, that's, if you pull a, a, a trigger multiple times, that's semi-automatic. Now, the bump stock, which they're adding into this, doesn't do that. Now, some people have said, and I've heard, like, well, the, you know, they said the bump stock is designed to break the law. No, it's not. The bump stock was not designed to break the law. The bump stock does not let you hold down the trigger, as per this definition, once while it fire, fires multiple rounds off. Remember, by a single function of the trigger. When, remember how I described that. Once you press the, uh, depress the, or press the trigger, squeeze the trigger, it uh, does that, you know, the gas makes the, the uh, device rock back and forth, basically, so that you click the, uh, tr- you, pre- pu- you pull the trigger multiple times really, really fast, faster than you could, you know, normally under your own power. But it's not a single pull of the trigger. So you can't, so it's not, so the bump stock doesn't break the law, and it shouldn't be classified alongside machine guns, because by their own definition, the people that wrote this law said that it, it's, only, uh, it's only automatic if you just pull the trigger once and hold on for dear life while it shoots tons. This is insane, guys. This is absolutely insane. It's unconstitutional, just like, I mean, it was unconstitutional in 86. This law, it's not even a law. And that, that's even one of, that makes this even worse. This is executive order. This is an administration doing something without going through anybody else, doing this completely on their own, all of a sudden declaring that an attachment for a weapon that doesn't have anything to do with automatic weapons, we've established that, is now illegal. Imagine, you know, let's say if Hillary Clinton was president. Let's, let's get off of Obama. Let's say if Hillary Clinton was president. And she was like, um, if she was like, um, yeah, I think that uh, these weapons are too dangerous, so you have until March to turn them in, or if you don't, you're copy, uh, caught with them, you're going to jail. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine the uproar that we'd be in? Why aren't we under the same uproar right now? Why are we not? I get that many of us and many people listening right now support Donald Trump. I support many of his policies. I don't believe in supporting a single man at all. Because I, I don't believe that. That sounds like a king worship to me. That sounds like King George. I believe in, uh, uh, in supporting or, or not supporting policies. But why aren't we in uproar over this policy? Why are we not? It shouldn't be because you just like the, like the president. It shouldn't be that, that way. If that's your mentality, then you know he could do anything and you'd just be on board because you support that guy. We have to be very audible in our, you know, you know, in our, how we do not support policies like this gotta be this is absolutely insane if there's any i mean you, you really need to get on the phone to your congressman right now you really need to like in this commercial break which you're about to have get on the phone talk to him maybe i'll do that right now catch you in a bit Welcome back to the Steve Dace Show. I'm Jason Butchel, filling in for Steve Dace, the great, the one and only Steve Dace. Um, and, you know, Sarah's still in the kitchen. I just, I didn't feel like I should let her out. I didn't think that I should let her off the hook that easily. So she's still in there making that sandwich, and I kind of added in some chicken strips and some uh, tater tots. Wanted to throw a little cheese and some uh, and some chili on those tater tots as well. So she probably won't make it back in time. Guys, we only have like 20 minutes left on this bad boy. It's Cannot believe uh, <laughs> control room saying that I'm getting trouble for. But you know what? I mean, 
I just had to send her to the kitchen. That's just it had to be done. Um, <laughs> I call in, guys, if you want to talk to me. Triple eight nine zero zero thirty three ninety three. You've only got like twenty minutes to do it, so do it now. Um, and I think that I'm going to I'm going to hang on to this bump stock uh, discussion for a couple more minutes. And then I want to move on to Syria and some other things. Like Syria is probably some stuff that you'll probably want to have some discussions with, or because that stuff's complicated, and I get that. So we have to break it down, like I said before, shotgun style. Um, but let's do this. Let's wrap this up. I think I'm going to take a caller. Let's go to like, wow, there's like so many phone lines. Let's go to line number 133. That's Nick in Virginia. How you doing, Nick? Hi, Jason. How are you? Good, brother. What's going on? What's on your mind? Hey, I just wanted to call in uh, first. Is that a uh, Marine sticker or an NRA sticker on your laptop? That's an NRA sticker, but I should have a Marine sticker on there as well. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think that one of the reasons that Trump pushed this so hard was that he got the okay from the NRA. Would you say that's viable? Um, you know, you are telling me news right now because I didn't hear that he got the Is that? Are you saying he did get it or you're suspecting that he got the okay for it? No, no. If you go on the NRA's website right now, they still have the statement saying that uh, they think the bump shop stock should get uh, some more scrutiny. Uh, anyways, I just was the main reason I was calling in was to uh, just shed some light on two uh, cases that one from the Firearms Policy Coalition uh-huh. and the other one from the Gun Owners of America. Yes, please. Uh, these are two other alternatives to the NRA uh, that I just feel, you know, have the actual Second Amendment in mind when they're, uh, you know, operating. Very interesting. And, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, they're both. Yeah, they're both suing the ATF and the Department of Justice for the uh, bump stock ban right now. Good. Good. What else have you seen from them yeah, in, the, so, uh, in, the, in the past? Have they been pretty strong on other uh, gun-related issues in the past? Have you been following them? Yeah, yeah. They, they don't compromise whatsoever. <laughs> what, are the, what are the names of those again, Nick? Yeah, Gun Owners of America, gun based owners out of America. Fairfax, Virginia. Yep. And then uh, the other one is Firearms Policy Coalition, which I believe is based out of California. Really? Wow. I guess that well, if anyone yeah, knows they're, about they're being really their, having their Second Amendments being infringed, it's people gun owners in California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got that. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I did not know that the NRA had given their approval for this, but you're absolutely right. Like that definitely would have uh, would would have uh, swayed him and, and given him the okay. That's insane. I can't I, I can't imagine that. But I I think that the bump stock has gotten so much negative press lately, especially after Las Vegas, that that the, even the NRA has probably felt pressured into doing something about it. Do you own a bump a bump stock? Uh, I do not, sir, but even if I did, I probably wouldn't tell you on air. Ah, very, very smart, Nick. Got a head on your shoulders. Nick, thanks for calling in, brother. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, like, that's crazy to me. Like, I cannot believe uh, that the NRA was cool with that. But again, I think it's just optics. I, I really do. I, I think that, the, you know, that they're even, even the NRA is feeling pressured to, to do something about this. But as I was just, I don't know, I won't go through all that again. But as I laid out, this, I mean... It's it's been written into an unconstitutional law that infringes on the Second Amendment that never should have been there to begin with. What's funny is the bump stock is just a firing technique. I mean, it really is. When you boil it down, it's a firing technique. When I was a kid, like we called them when you go out like on a ranch or a farm, we called them tanks. But basically, it was like a man-made like little you know little pond where you could throw in fish and stuff, and you could fish you know, on your on your property. Uh, I don't know what they call that in other parts of the country, but us Texans call them tanks. And uh, anyway, so when we had those, we'd go out to the tank 
And my uncles would, uh, you know, put the, uh, you know, put, they put, get the semi-automatic and they put their finger through a belt loop so that it like rocks back and forth. So they put their finger on a belt loop and they'd hold the, uh, the gun. And you, when you press the trigger, it does the same thing as a bump stock. So it just fires like really rapid for, you know, do not do that. Like disclaimer, do not do that because it's dangerous. You could lose like you, you could you could lose control of it. But totally like it's it's a firing technique that people have been doing for the longest time. Uh, so really, I mean, that's the, and that that's actually the we talked about the precedent that this sets. That's what worries me, because if the government can go in and say, look, this attachment is now, uh, you know, added into this unconstitutional law, it, this attachment. I mean, really, there's one step forward to say, look, all semi-automatic weapons have the capability to do this even without an attachment. So why don't we just ban the uh, full-on ban semi-automatic rifles in general? I mean, you're one step from that. You're right there. Anyway, ridiculous. All right, so I'm going to pivot off of the bump stock ban before I, I want to get to some other stories that didn't have to do with the dumpster fire that was of this week. But really quickly, and I spoke a little bit about this yesterday, um, I tell you, the U.S. credibility overseas, you know, our future security in Syria— um, so yesterday the president said really kind of out of nowhere that he was going to pull all U.S. troops out of Syria. He was bringing them home. And on top of that, he was also bringing back, um, the U.S. diplomatic, uh, group, the state department personnel that were in country. Now this is highly contentious for a lot of different people because, and look, I get, I get it. Like Rand Paul t- tweeted right, right afterwards that he was like, good, like finally when, you know, a war was done, the president, you know, incomplete, the president brought the troops back. And that's a sentiment that I actually, I, I, I totally get. And if the circumstances were different, I'd be right on board with Rand. The only problem with uh, Senator Paul is I, I think he's just like anti-war, period. Again, which I totally get. But I think that that's clouding his judgment on what's at stake here if U.S. troops pull out. Um, so basically, just here's a few things, right? So... You know, let, let, maybe let's start with, I wonder if I have the, uh, yeah, the tweet. So this is a tweet from the, the president yesterday, and we might have this, I'm not sure, but this is a tweet yesterday. It'll pop up on the screen if you're watching, if we do indeed have it. But he, t- he tweeted, we have defeated ISIS in Syria, my only reason for being there during the Trump presidency. Okay, so that's what he tweeted yesterday, and Chance is right on it. He fired that tweet up right there on the screen. It's awesome. Um, so so, he's, so he tweeted that out yesterday. He said, we had defeated ISIS. ISIS is gone. And he campaigned and spoke about how once he defeated them, he was going to bring our troops back. Okay, so today he tweeted something different. And I don't know if we have this tweet or not, but I'm going to read it to you if we don't anyway. He said, Russia, Iran, Syria, and many others are not happy about the U.S. leaving despite what the fake news says. Because now they will have to fight ISIS and others who they hate without us. I am building by far the most powerful military in the world. ISIS hits us. They are doomed. Whoa. I thought we defeated ISIS. How are they going to hit us if they're not defeated? I mean, if they're defeated. How's that going to happen? What? And, and Russia, Iran, and Syria now have to fight ISIS? Because, you know, and we're putting on them? Why do they have to fight them if we already defeated them? Does that make any sense? I mean, what? Like, Ron's shaking his head no. The control room's saying no. That doesn't make any sense. This makes no sense. And, in fact, the, the president knows this. Okay? The, the president knows this. He knows they're not defeated. Uh, the Department of Defense Pentagon, they know they're not defeated. The uh, State Department knows they're not defeated. The last estimates say that there are twenty to 30,000 ISIS troops today, right now, still in Iraq and Syria. Twenty to 30,000. Uh, over the past eight weeks, they've executed. I mean, still pursuing genocide. 
over 700 people in the last eight weeks. ISIS is not defeated. When I was in uh, Iraq, I think maybe uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, something like that, um, I saw some really terrifying things. The, the lessons they've learned. They've learned these uh, lessons to where they can completely go underground, quite literally go underground, building their own tunneling devices and systems so they can go underground and you know tunnel through the ground and drive vehicles down there and they can you know completely just stay off the grid and disappear. Um, they developed these tactics where they can spring up in the middle of a town and launch mortar attacks, rocket attacks, with no one even know, know, know that they were anywhere close to them. This is the type of capabilities they have right now. Now, and, and, and we have a show on this. I have a show coming out. Uh, just I think it's, it's going to be maybe end of January, maybe beginning of February, something like that, that shows all this stuff, and it's going to be really dope. And uh, I'll tweet out when that's going to happen, but I'm sure we're going to like you know let you guys know before it does. But uh, we're going to show you all this stuff. It's crazy. You're, you're going to be absolutely, your jaw's going to hit the floor. But so ISIS is not gone. They already did this after the 2007 surge uh, when they were called, uh, then they were called Al-Qaeda in Iraq. And once the surge happened, they went underground, uh, literally and figuratively. They went away and they hid. They probably had less than 20 to 30,000. I know they had less than 20 to 30,000. They, they were weaker than they are right now. And they disappeared and they waited. Fast forward a couple years, what's Obama do? President Obama pulls U.S. troops out way too early. We stop pursuing them. What does that sound like today? Stop pursuing them, pulling our troops out. It's an exact repeat. Guys, have we learned nothing? Have we learned nothing? We learned nothing from that. We learned nothing from Vietnam. We learn nothing. We continue to make the same dang mistakes. So ISIS comes back, then Al-Qaeda in Iraq. They rebrand themselves as ISIS. They take... Sinjar Mountain, they take thousands of slaves, slaughter many more thousands. They press on, they take Mosul, they, had, they establish their caliphate. What do you think is going to happen now, now that we're stepping back? Do you think, and I'm not talking to you guys, I'm talking to the administration right now. Do you think that Russia, Syria, they have any care whatsoever to take out ISIS? No, they don't care. They want to retake Syria. That's what they want. They don't they give a crap about ISIS. They want to retake Syria, and Assad wants to kill the Kurds. We just enabled them to kill the Kurds. We did. The Kurds are going to have two choices. We abandoned them. We, you know, we just said to the Kurds, we said, hey, look, we, uh, we're going to defeat ISIS. We need a partner. If you support us, we'll support you. So the Kurds provided the ground troops, by large, the vast majority of the ground troops. We provided air support, we provided special forces, and a few other conventional forces, but it was mainly the Kurds. The Kurds led the fight on this. And they retook Raqqa, their capital, and they pushed them into the little corner that they're at right now. They took the brunt of this. Now we're completely abandoning them. them. Turkey wants the Kurds dead. They're going to come down and try to do that. They're going to try. They're going to have no other option but to try and make a deal with Syria and Assad. That puts them all of a sudden allies with Iran, Syria, and Russia, our former allies. They're now going to help Iran push all the way to Israel. We're abandoning Israel by abandoning this region in this case. That's what Iran wants to do. They want to push in. They want to enable Hezbollah to, to, go, to run wild and all the other Shia militias, and they get their orders directly from Iran. Directly from Iran. Many people don't remember that Hezbollah was ISIS before there was an ISIS. Hezbollah was the number one terror group receiving their orders directly from a nation state, Iran. Hezbollah. This is insane. We are now empowering them. Hezbollah got stronger yesterday when this was announced. Iran got stronger because of this. Israel got weaker 
Now it's, uh, hey, look, I want our troops to come home too, but what are you going to do? Like, are we just going to give Israel over to Iran? Is that what we're going to do? Are we going to let future partners that can maybe help us? And like, I got, had no problem with the strategy. Like, we were taking a back seat. We were just we were helping. We weren't we weren't the full on ground invasion. That was the Syrian Kurds. Like, that's what we want to happen. If you want less involvement, but you still want to make sure that our our big time allies like uh, Israel are safe, we do exactly what we were doing. We were on the road. Now, there were some problems with the strategy that I'm sure it wasn't perfect. There's many other things they should have done. I think they capitulated to uh, to Russia and Iran a lot too much on, you know, allowing them to do some, some of the things they were doing. But right now, it's just a total give up. We gave up on our allies. We gave up on the people that were supporting us. And I, who's going to help us going forward? This is leading towards more chaos in the region. That's what this is leading towards. This is leading towards danger for Israel. This is leading towards the possible near genocide of the Syrian Kurds in Syria. Uh, there's nothing good that can come from this. You just handed it to, to Iran. Um, if any of this is, is just way out there, some of it's, it's not making sense, or if you don't agree with it, please call. Because this is, this, is really st- this is more stuff that I'm very, very passionate about, and I think people really need to understand. It's a very fine line between understanding non-interventionism and doing what we can for our allies so that they can you know, be strong enough so that we don't have to help as much in certain parts of the world. There's a very fine line there, and it's not, it's not easy. But anyway, if you want to talk about it, please call in 888-900-3393. All right, so let's move on. So that, that was last week. I mean, I think we can agree that this is all a total dumpster fire. I want to get away from that for a little bit. Let, let, let's switch to some other things. Some things that are annoying, like if I was, if I was Peter Griffin, these would really grind my gears. And um, I want to talk about a little bit about arrogance of journalists, uh, journalists these days. I mean, journalists really drive me insane. I hope I, I'm not classified as a journalist right now. I don't, I don't think I'll ever be. I'm, I'm a researcher. I'm a writer. You know, I'm a commentator every once in a while when I have to be. I'm not a journalist. And thank God. Because journalists, they're not all of them, but a large majority of them are incredibly, their egos, I've never seen some of the egos, not even in the military have I seen egos this big. I mean, from the from the time when they were, you know, the White House correspondent or when that was like starting up, and all of a sudden it became this who's who, like, you know, journalists don't want to write about stuff, they wanted to, ha- they wanted to have their faces out there. They wanted to show up at the movie star, you know what I mean? They, wanted to, they didn't want to write about the story or report the story, they wanted to be the story. And that's what they are right now. Like, they've turned this entire thing, you know, against the Trump administration and President Trump Trump into this. Hey, look at me. You know, I'm the one being, you know, oppressed here. And it's all about, you know, I'm so under attack. And, you know, it's like, hell, you know, look at us. Look at us. Like, they're so desperate to look at us. The one, you know, president that finally stood up and said, wait a minute, guys, why don't you accept a responsibility? You guys are horrible. And oh my gosh, all of a sudden the hounds got let loose because they couldn't handle it anymore. Um, and there's a couple other examples that I want to show about this. So one was, yeah, let me close out that story, and then okay. So there's this one I was I was looking at at the hill. Um, so there, uh, you know, so if you're in New York and you're seeing the ball drop, you know, in Times Square, you know, they have the big stage out there and everything. So when the ball drops or are very near to it, they're going to pull out um, some journalists to honor some of these journalists. Yeah, so we should be talking about you know it's a new year and everybody should be kissing and all that stuff. But no, they're going to honor journalists. They're going to honor the media. They're going to bring them on stage for the ball drop. And it's all about how journalists are being, you know, they're under attack. You know what I mean? They're, you know, it's so bad. Like, it's, it's never been this bad. Are you kidding me? 
Are you absolutely kidding me? Because you were called fake news, you're under attack? Because Jim Acosta didn't get his, you know, his his pass to to go into the uh the press briefings, you're under attack? CNN wasn't banned in, you know, as a as an entire network. It was Jim Acosta for breaking the rules. Now it's you know, you're under attack. And let me tell you, it's nothing compared to what you know, from whatever Trump has said, it doesn't even compare to what President Obama did just a few years ago. You know, I don't have to bring up James Rosen or the other journalists that were, you know, under surveillance that are getting subpoenaed. I mean, we're not there. He did go there, but we're not there. You're called fake news. You're a bunch of crybabies. Grow up. It's ridiculous. Um, second story on this, which was kind of, again, equally kind of funny is that there was a list of journalists by, what's this, it's an annual report from a press advocacy group called Reporters Without Borders. And, <clears throat> excuse me, they listed, they always come up with this list of like countries where journalists are under attack and it's dangerous for them, right? Um, they just listed the United States as one of the top countries where journalists are in danger. They're listed alongside, listen to this list, Mexico, India, Syria, Afghanistan. What? Are you kidding me? Are you saying that the United States is attacking journalists at the same rate that they are, they get killed in Mexico and Afghanistan? This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Absolutely, this is the dumbest thing. They the United, they just made the they just included the United States and joined the ranks of the world's deadliest countries in the media for the year. That's that is laughable. That is so ridiculous. And why? Oh, because they were called fake news. I mean, that's that's what it boils down to. Um, really quick before I go, I hope I have time to get all the way through this. But um, check. Did you guys get a Christmas bonus this year? Um, so all of our guys are shaking no. <laughs> but did you guys, anyone listening right now, get to check this out? So you know that the vape thing, Jewel. Their employees just got a two billion dollar bonus. Two freaking billion dollars. So they have 1,500 employees. So that averages out. Check this out. Like all their employees just walked into work. They looked down. They had a $1.3 million check. Right? That's insane. Imagine. That's so cool. What the? I know. That's what I'm saying. Like I'm, I'm, someone get uh, Mr. Beck on the phone right now. We're going to fix this. We're going to fix this problem right here right now. <laughs> Guys, thanks for tuning in. I'll be back tomorrow. Maybe Sarah can join me if she's out of the kitchen. We'll see. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.